For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Uh, welcome back to Heard Tell. Uh, let's go back overseas. Uh, Australia down under. Morning for me, evening for him. That's the way these things work. Uh, Pavel Feisner, uh, Young Voices contributor down in Australia. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Uh, great to be on with you, Andrew. I appreciate your time, sir. Okay, so we scheduled this because we were going to talk about Russia and Ukraine, and then while we were waiting, things that we were kind of waiting on sort of kicked off, so I'll just give you the floor. Where do you want to start with it? We had uh, Vladimir Putin's speech yesterday. He is going to recognize the two regions of Ukraine. Uh, this is uh, annexation. This is sort of the Georgian Crimean model that we have seen before. How do you want to start with this one? Uh, well, uh, I guess it is, uh, it's, it's really uh, interesting uh, to see how quickly the situation can change. Um, you know, again, I, I wrote an article about uh, uh, 22 days ago or uh, er, earlier this month, and um, the, the situation's completely changed. Um, you know, we, we've, from, we've got reports that uh, there's now troops in um, eastern Ukraine in the um, breakaway uh, regions of the Donetsk and Luhansk. Um, and I, I think um, Putin is now making his move. Um, he, he's got the stage set. He's, he's getting those uh, provocation, the, the, you know, the fake um, provocations for war. And I, I think now um, he, he's ready to go if he wants to invade um, properly. Yeah, he's using the guise of peacekeepers. We've seen this, you know, this is a very old tactic. This is nothing new. Um, we, we know the history here. Uh, we know the Ukraine was part of not only the old Soviet Union, but the old Russian Empire. Um, I know I get into the trap. I think Soviet Union, really what Putin's after is the old Soviet Empire that even predates that, something the czars would recognize. This is a lot of back history, even though this is moving uh, pieces that are more recent. How much of the history do you think plays into this? Because we, I know, especially in America, we tend to have short views on things because we're a young country. Australia is a young country in a lot of ways, but y'all are on the other side of the world. What's the perspective of the history part of this? Because I don't think we discussed this enough, and I think it skews our viewpoint on this. Yeah, look, I, I think the history is a really, really important part um, of why this is all happening. Um, it, it, look, there's obviously um, you know the, the NATO issue and and Russia wanting to to um, you know push its sphere of influence out, but you got to recognise that um, Ukraine um, and Kiev particularly um, is really a founding founding um, territory um, for Russia. They, they had the Kievan Rus in the 900s. They were that was the real uh, the, the first real uh, unified Russia. Uh, before that, it was, it was a bunch of principalities. And so there's always been a very, very strong tie between Kiev 
and the Ukrainian region as uh, with the rest of um, Western Russia. Um, and uh, there's obviously deep cultural and ethnic connection there. And a lot of Russians um, know their history and they know that, you know, that is where um, Russia was born, um, you know, with, uh, through the, you know, the, the multiple principalities merging um, with, you know, Ukraine and um, the, the Western Russian principalities. Um, so I, I think there is obviously a lot of patriotism uh, for the Russian people and, and they would like to see their, you know, history renew itself. Um, but again, there, there are also geopolitical reasons behind Putin's actions. Yeah, we'll get back to that patriotism in a minute because I think I think we think Putin's talking to us and I don't think he is. I think everything he's doing is talking internally right now. What's the impression on your side of the world, though? Because we kind of get European-centered and focused, but some of our other Aussie friends were pointing out to me that uh, for folks on your side of the world, you kind of look at this a little differently because, um, of course, Australia has the famous quad. You're thinking, well, this this could involve India. This can involve China. This could get really ugly. Uh, secondarily for your side of the world. Talk about that viewpoint of it, because that's something we're not hearing here because we're so focused on the European part of it. This re does reorder you know, NATO and the Western order. This has a lot of potential to mess up a lot of the things like India, like Pakistan, like a lot of other moving parts that maybe affect your side of the world a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily think, um, you know, th this is going to be World War Three with, you know, us versus China and, you know, Ukrainians, well, the Ukrainians obviously will be fighting the Russians, but, you know, the Americans getting involved against um, Russia. But if, if I were to play that side of the argument, um, it is a great opportunity for Xi Jinping and the, the Taiwan, Taiwan um, situation. So they are, it, it's, it's a very um, analogous situation between, you know, um, Eastern Ukraine or Ukraine and, and Russia, as with uh, Taiwan and mainland China. And I think, um, I think the Western leaders and, and the way, you know, the UN and democracy works in the West is, is rather slow and not really good at responding to immediate threats. And if the entire world is focused on what's happening right now in Ukraine, I think um, it will not only set a precedent for um, for Xi Jinping and China to potentially, um, you know, cause some issues with Taiwan. Look at you know, provoking, provoking them. You know, trying to start an invasion perhaps. Um, and if if they can move fast enough, um, you know, if the West was totally distracted on on um, Ukraine. You know, and they could pull something off very fast, you know, both countries might have got what they want without this blowing up into uh, World War Three. Yeah, talking to Pavel Fazer. Um, here's the thing. We, we, I think you make the excellent point here is that when you have kind of the two, let's just call them the largest uh, bad actors on the stage in Russia and China, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, um, the perception, apparently accurate, is that the West is weak. The rest of the world is fractured. They are not united, even in their response to this. It's been kind of scattershot because you have Manuel Macron kind of doing his own thing, trying to trying to play peacemaker. Joe Biden's doing everything by phone calls. Uh, Boris Johnson's got problems at home, so he's not exactly been consistent in what he says. It is the sense of the world that there's just not a lot to stop these large powers that are dictatorial powers because the rest of the world just cannot get their stuff together to have a united front about it? 
I, I think that's uh, a fairly accurate assumption. I, I, I think the, the West likes to pretend that it is united, but we've got a whole lot of issues, not only internally within our own countries, but also amongst ourselves. You know, there's a lot of conflict within the EU, post-Brexit, other, other you know, more Eastern European countries within the EU are looking at moving out of it. And, you know, you, you can fake a, a united front against Russia, but when it comes down to it, are they really, is everyone really ready to act? Is everyone really ready to stand up and fight against Russia? And, and that's where I have my doubts. Pavel Fitzner joining us. Uh, when you wrote about it, you talked about that weakness uh, you expressed. And this is a, of course, the situation has changed in the three weeks since you wrote about this, but still the, the point remains. You talked about the domestic weakness of these countries coming off the COVID stuff, coming off uh, political fractured stuff that, you know, an actual military campaign probably isn't in the cards for anybody in the West right now. At the same time, though, what should we be doing? I know people talk about sanctions, but they can't even seem to get on the same page as to what exactly the sanctions would be. We've already had the, the mess with uh, President Biden basically handing back Nordstrom, too. So that would have been a big chip that's kind of already been taken off the board. What exactly can they do sanction wise, since we all kind of agree that there's not going to be a military solution here other than maybe arming the Ukrainians more than they are? Yeah. Uh, well, in terms of sanctions, I don't think they're going to be rather uh, that, that effective against Russia either. Russia's dealt with sanctions before. Um, they know what to expect and they have quite a uh, self-reliant economy. Um, they can produce enough food and, uh, you know, machinery and all the things that most countries have to import um, themselves. Yeah, they've obviously got a lot of uh, natural resources, gas, oil. And here's the problem. Uh, at, at the moment, the European Union is quite dependent on Russian gas. Um, and it, and, and um, over the last couple of months, gas prices have shot up um, in Europe, um, especially for the past winter. And if, if Russia decides to turn off the tap, um, turn off the gas to, um, to Europe, there could be really big problems um, for, for Europe and their standard of living, you know, there'll be um, gas shortages, people go cold. So, yes, the West can put sanctions on Russia, but Russia can cause a lot of harm to Europe as well. Yeah, they're in a rock and a hard place. Talking to Pavel Fitzner, uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go back into Russia. We're going to talk about Vladimir Putin. We're going to talk about the patriotism angle that he's playing up here. We're going to talk about those economic conditions we talked about, like the gas prices going up. It's not accidental that the gas prices are high when he makes this move. Talking about all that with our friend Pavel Fitzner over in Australia on Hertel right after this. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. We're talking to Pavel Fitzner over in Australia, Young Voices contributor. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. Let's go back and dive into it a little bit. You talked about this is a very patriotic thing in Russia. We understand that when you have a dictator type leader like Vladimir Putin, there's a lot of patriotism involved, a lot of nationalism involved. I think most I think most Western media is misreading a lot of what he's doing. Because I don't think he's really taking into account things like the Munich conference. I don't think he's listening to the Western leaders at all. Almost everything he said publicly in media in the last few weeks, it seems like it's all directed solely 
at the Russian people themselves and his own uh, his own leaders. We had the song and dance of him and the cabinet officials in the great rotunda looking room where they're all spread out. Basically, they were all standing up pledging loyalty for lack of a better way of explaining it. The, this whole PR campaign, for lack of a better term, this has all been internal, really, hasn't it? Well, it's definitely an internal part of it. I, I, of course, Russia does want to expand their borders and, and preserve their um, their sphere of influence. Um, but yeah, look, Putin does want to ensure that he is, you know, re-elected over and over again. Um, now, traditionally, he has always had a very high approval rating. Um, in recent years, there's been more protests, more dissent against the government. Um, and I think if he did pull this off, um, you know, a, a lot of prestige would be given to him and a lot more support um, from the Russian people. Um, my feeling is the Russian people are pretty ambivalent about what exactly is happening. They'll support really whatever the government wants to do. Um, there's not much active uh, backlash against what he's doing at the moment, which tells me if they do pull it off and they do succeed, um, uh, you know, his approval rating will probably go up within Russia. What would ding it? Uh, a prolonged conflict, a bloody conflict. If there was, uh, if they did figure out some kind of combination of them getting bogged down in these regions, because uh, look, this this is a massive amount of military hardware in the field right now. It takes a lot of money and resources to sustain that. The Russian military logistics is not their strong suit. We know from history, either economic sanctions or just the weight of the maneuvers of it. If this goes for a while, is that something that could really change the calculation for him at home? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, if this drags out, and you know they get you know dug in into trenches and it's fighting for, for years and years. There's going to be a lot of problems. Um, it would be the same if the US intervened and it got dragged out. The US would have the same problems. Um, now, from what I understand, um, Russia is not expecting um, conscripts to fight. You know, Russia does have conscription, but they're not deploying conscript battalions to the front. They're not expecting them to fight. They don't want conscripts to die in this conflict. Um, they've got only professional soldiers really ready to invade. Um, so if they can pull off a short, sharp war, which is possible if um, Belarus, you know, let them invade from their territory, Kiev's not very far from the Belarusian border, um, you could fit, uh, pull off a, a quick war. But I don't think um, Russia would invade if they expected the war to be dragged out. They don't want that, and it's not going to give them any bonus. Yeah, you mentioned Belarus. Uh, how big was the West not doing more against the Levachenko election when he clearly stole the election? There was an uprising. It looked like there was a moment where they could have what happened in Ukraine where, you know, the non-Putin puppet got beaten in the election and President Zelensky came in and where we are where we are now and no small part of that. In retrospect, that election in Belarus a few years ago was a really, really big deal because now they are basically a wholly owned subsidiary of Russia and all you... Look, a lot of geopolitics, you can just look at the map. If, you, if you're going to drive into Ukraine, Belarus is to their north, and it's real close to Kiev. I don't think they're going to go into Kiev. I think they're going to stay in these regions because that would be, a, you know, the, the Ukrainians would fight them tooth and nail. You'd have women and children fighting then. I don't think they're going to do that. But when you look at the map, how big was that Belarus election in retrospect? And that was one of those points is like, if the West was going to prevent this, that was one of the spots they probably should have done something. Yeah, well, um, Belarus 
I think since about 20 years ago, has had an agreement with Russia that at some point they are going to you know, reunify or make a joint parliament um, and become the same country or, or have some form of union. Um, now, it's not really happened just yet, but we do know that uh, they are essentially Russia's puppet. Now, if, if the West did interfere in their election and try and uh, try to change the results, I think it'd be a huge provocation against Russia. I think that's why the US didn't, or the US or the West didn't do it, um, because Russia sees that as their own backyard. And again, if 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 Westerners are getting involved in Belarus, I think Russia would start stepping in there as well um, to make sure that um, what they don't want to happen doesn't happen. Uh, so I'd see quite a similar thing to the Ukraine conflict. In that same vein, um, I don't think the West, especially America, especially the American president, I don't think this talk of moving Zelensky out of Ukraine or at least out of Kiev, I think that is extremely not helpful dialogue and rhetoric. Um, I know Zelensky has publicly now told uh, the Western leadership a couple of times of like, hey, quit talking about a constant invasion, quit talking about us abandoning the capital. I don't know that the West fully appreciates the way the way the way they're going about this publicly. I don't think they're really helping a whole lot with their rhetoric here. Is that how you see it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what the mainstream media has been doing has been really damaging for Ukraine and, and the con- the situation as a whole. That When I wrote my article, uh, things weren't so, hadn't escalated so much. They you know, Yes, Russia had troops on the border, but they've done this from time to time. They've done stunts like that. But the media wanted to make it seem as, you know, yes, invasion is imminent. We're going to predict the date, you know, um, it's 100% going to happen. It's going to be World War Three, And none of this was coming from U- Ukrainian media. Ukrainians weren't trying to, you know, say this is World War Three. The U- Ukrainians are trying to be calm about it. Um, again, the Russians weren't trying to make it seem like it was going to be World War Three because they're trying to downplay their own actions. But I, I think... Um, yeah, I, I think the West thought that if, if, if their media goes and demonises Russia and says that they're going to start World War Three. that that would, for some reason, prevent prevent uh, Putin from pursuing the war, um, that they, they think that their smears would really change his decision-making. But I think as Putin has waited it out and he hasn't invaded imminently, like the uh, article was predicted, um, you know, a month ago, um, or, and he didn't in, in invade on the... the U.S. Um, intelligence has predicted date. I think it's made the West look uh, quite like a fool, um, and uh, I, I think it's it's only played in uh, Putin's favor. Yeah, Pavel Fitzner joining us. Uh, you mentioned it this way, so it brings up the larger point to loop this back a little bit. Foreign policy is a process of uh, consistency and cohesion. The actor in this story that has had the most consistency and cohesion, even though it's it's wrong and it's invades Ukraine, has been Vladimir Putin. Is it just that simple that he's had a plan and stuck to it and nobody else seems to have one? Well, um, I, I think um, R- Russia knew what they wanted to do from the start. Um, and I think they they knew or they know if they're going to invade or if they're not going to. And they've they know, known that a month ago, two months ago. Um, I, I think the West didn't predict Russia to act in the way they are. They didn't think Russia would 
play it out. They thought they would respond to the um, to the uh, Western, um, you know, diplomatic uh, responses and threats, um, and the haphazardness of of the West um, in their response to it, it, it really not um, helped them at all. Um, so I, I think Russia definitely, well, they've got all the secrets. Um, it is half intelligence. This war is half intelligence. Um, if, if Russia knows what they're going to do and no one else knows what they're going to do, they're going to be, you know, five steps ahead. And, and so long as they maintain um, the, the surprise um, and the deceit and all, all their little um, tricky tacks that they play on the um, intelligence, uh, the, the international intelligence stage, um, I, I think they'll come out better off. Yeah. Um, if they do what it looks like they're going to do now, what uh, Vladimir Putin is hinting at, uh, they're going to go under the auspices of independence. We Look, we're all adults here. We understand independence means they're going to go and annex them next. That's the next step after that. Uh, the invasion will be under the guise of peacekeeping forces. So other than the Ukrainians being able to beat them back, I don't know that there's going to be a strong Western response if it is this limited of an incursion. It's still wrong. It's still a sovereign nation being invaded. But the way they've gone about it and with the way the West is set up, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of strong response here. I think there's going to be a lot of word response, but I don't think there's going to be a lot of actual response. Is that your read on it? Yeah. So at, at the moment, um, they're essentially already marching into land that they proxy control already. So the two breakaway regions of Donetsk and Luhansk you know, have been independent de facto uh, since you know, 2014. Um, you, the Ukrainians haven't really had any control over these regions since they broke away and the war started. So if, if Russia is walking into territory which Ukrainians don't control, there's really nothing that can be done unless the Ukrainians want to provoke something uh, and you know, invade these two breakaway republics. Um, and I don't think that's a wise decision. I don't think the West would support such a decision. Um, I think Putin may want that to happen um, because it would give him justification to push further if he wanted to go further. Um, but but if they are only going into into the um, the two breakaway republics, there's absolutely no chance um, that that uh, Western the West is going to do anything more than than um, you know condemn him um, because they're already broken away and it's not changing much by putting troops there. Yeah. Pavel Fitzner, I really appreciate your time today on Herd Tell, a uh, Young Voices contributor, one of our Aussie friends down there. If you're like me on Twitter or Weird Hours, it's always great talking to our Aussie friends because they're up when we're up at weird times. And he's on the uh, Young Voices page. You can follow him there. We're looking forward to seeing more from him in the future. Pavel Fitzner, appreciate your time, sir. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, sir. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save 